Woo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. Happy Tuesday. It's Tuesday. And I'm feeling so wholesome and hearty over here on this Tuesday. Wholesome and hearty? Where did those words come from? I know. It's not really my vibe, is it? I feel like those are kind of like the side dishes of my life and like crushing bitches is like <laughs> the main dish. So it's a little odd. I don't know. I think we do bring a wholesome energy, even though we talk about some raunchy things and cuss and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that some parents play it for their like young children. Wait, what? Yeah, they think it's good for mentorship. (laughs) So Megan, we are the definition of wholesome. We're a little house on the prairie over here. (laughs) What do you feel about that? Little house on the prairie with a lot of dick. (laughs) (laughs) Earthy house on the prairie, perhaps. Yes, exactly. We're dreaming big. We're embodying it. We're manifesting it. But why are we wholesome? I'm, I'm missing why you even brought those words up in the first place. Because you made chicken soup this morning. I did, yeah. At 7 a.m. And uh-huh. we have these like wafts of deliciousness emanating through the house. Yeah. And it's kind of overriding our like 15 pairs of sweaty, dirty running shoes. Okay, so my garlic <laughs> chicken is better than the running shoes. Garlic is better than our musty shoe ass scent. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I would say like our house is like 49% musty shoe and 51% okay. chicken soup. So we're, we're winning out. It's such a good thing. At least hopefully the shoes aren't winning the electoral college. <laughs> yeah. Oh, true. They're just looking for a few votes in Michigan and Wisconsin, and then they win the scent, even though the popular vote the, went to the hearty chicken noodle soup. They might be. I mean, I feel like Alabama is really on to like musty, dirty, dank vapor flies. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love Alabama. Yeah. I used to work in Alabama. Some of the kindest people I ever met were in Alabama. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> we're recording this actually the day before uh, the New Hampshire primary. So politics is on our brain. But you know what's even more on our brain? What? Chicken soup. Yeah. Do you know what's on my brain? What? It's Trader Joe's. Oh, yeah. We have been, we were turned back to Trader Joe's. It's like- We're We became Whole Foods people for a period of time. I know. What was wrong with us? I think the self-loathing overtook us after a while <laughs> yeah, yeah. when we would see that we would check out and it would be $300. And um, you know, the person at the checkout kind of would be like, oh, are you sure you can handle this? Right? No, we cannot handle this. This is too much. Meanwhile, I felt like I was in a drought from the Trader Joe's checkout line where like, I was in a deep eye-fucking drought. Because yeah. whenever you go to Trader Joe's, you like make these great interactions. And I've missed that. Yeah. I've truly missed it. And I've missed the pesto chicken. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And their ch- whole chocolate milk. Oh my gosh. It's outstanding. Been, okay. Why? So we are back on the chocolate milk train. But we We've been doing like chocolate almond milk and like other variations, like every other variations of anything you could milk, which is a lot of things at this point. (laughs) But why have we like, I mean, we've been missing whole milk for an entire like duration of our lives. Yeah. If there's no other message from this podcast, it is to uplift the power of whole milk. I think we mentioned this on the Patreon podcast a few weeks ago, but at some point I was deluded into thinking milk was bad, probably from some runner's world article in 2002 about (laughs) dairy or whatever. And actually, it's the opposite. Milk is amazing. And because our baby Leo drinks so much milk, we've been emulating him. We have been, he has been our mentor in the (laughs) milk drinking process. And so now we have chocolate whole milk and that stuff is so good, Megan. I would pour it down my pants, uh, any anywhere on my body. It is the greatest. I was going to say, I would shower in entire jugs of chocolate milk. It's so good. And I think it's single-handedly helping me. We've been, both been in like big workout phases of our lives. Yeah. It is like reducing low energy availability bit by bit. It's great. It's so good. And it's going to be so relevant to some of the studies we talk about later on energy availability and carbohydrates and things like that. It just adds to the recovery game. In fact, there was a study back in the mid-2000s that said, um, chocolate milk was incredible for glycogen replacement. And that study had lots of issues. In retrospect, <laughs> they could have used anything for that. And I think um, it was basically funded by big milk probably. Um, but I am fully going to live that study from now on. And chocolate milk is going to become my whole identity. 
I love it. It's just like downing it, drinking it, feeling so good. We have so many good studies ahead on this podcast. Yes. As we were reviewing for the podcast, I was like, there is just so much sexy science on here. Yeah. Lots of good stuff coming Do you just want to get to it? Let's do it. Awesome. So here's a roadmap for this great episode we have today. We're going to start with some U.S. cross-country excitement, and then talk about the dark magic of coaching. The dark magic of coaching. Just wait. I'm not even sure what you're referring Ooh, to. Oh, yes. Uh, cross-training heavy approaches. Then breathing exercises in HRV via study. Uh, glycogen availability and training, a new study that just came out. Optimizing testosterone and health, a big science discussion about how you can really get your health going. Um, then talk about the prevalence of drug use in endurance athletes. That's sexy. Possibly answering a question on getting started with workouts, plus news and fun things, including some hot tech, some football discussions, and a study on coin flips that will blow your mind. Do you think we're actually going to get there? Yeah. Well, now that you've teased it as like blowing people's minds, I feel like we better. <laughs> we are going to get there no matter what, because even if at the end of the podcast, after 80 minutes, we have to just shoehorn it in, in hot <laughs> takes or something, we are, because this study for me was one of those that even if someone doesn't care about athletics, I just want to tell them about this study to let them know how cool science is and how cool physics are. So I can't wait. How cool physics is yeah. or are. Is physics plural? I was like, are you going the way of data? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. no. <laughs> physics, honestly, it should be plural. If you have an S at the end of your name, it's plural. And if you don't, it's singular. Data is singular. Physics Plural. I know. I will never name a future kid something that ends in an S because it makes me panic every single time when there's a, an oh. S into an apostrophe S. I'm like, this just does not look right. Yeah, I just give up. Yeah, and <laughs> think of a different way to phrase it. I just use pronouns at that point. It's actually the the main name, the main reason why I took your last name, Roach. Oh. My maiden name is Deacons. Yeah, and every time it was possessive, I was like, oh fuck me, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is just not right. It's a travesty. <laughs> that makes me feel a little bit worse about myself. But I do appreciate the sentiment. Roach is such a better last name than Deacons. Roach. Yeah. It's like straightforward. It's easy to spell. It's powerful. It's big pharma that we have no relation to. It shares its name with a bug. Yeah, exactly. I always just say, pronounce it like the bug, even though that's probably not how it's pronounced (laughs) in reality. Even though it's beautiful French, we're like, just say the American way, which (laughs) is the bug. (laughs) We're bringing those vibes. Okay, so we want to start with our experience this weekend with the U.S. cross-country championships, which prominently featured me screaming at a live tracker. Okay. And if you've never seen you scream at a live tracker, and you also have these like rhythmic movements as you do it, it (laughs) is like you have not had a fully lived life until you see this. It's really empowering. Where does it come from? Like, is it unleashing some like deep, dark turmoil or like energy or force within you? Maybe this gets to the dark magic we're about to talk about. True. I'm teeing it up. But- I heard Adele once talking about her voice exercises she does before she takes the stage. And she was commenting that it doesn't come from your throat and your vocal cords. It comes from your stomach when you really (laughs) want to belt it out. Similarly, when I'm looking at the live tracker, that is coming from my sphincter, from all the way down there, all the way up and through my mouth. Okay. Now, I feel like on this podcast, we've gone through your GI history and your Uh lack of stomach privilege. And that is a scary thought. Yes. Until until you've had chocolate milk. I feel like chocolate milk is reviving your large intestines and your small intestines and all your sphincters. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) It works great. Um, So the reason I was screaming is that um, we have the honor of coaching Ali. Allstranger um, and gone to coach her for since September or something like that. And she's just such a cool person. If you have ever um, seen her journey, it's just inspiring as hell. She has a great YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, and she shares her journey with such openness, honesty, vulnerability, and also humor. She is so funny. And getting to see her journey and know that she was putting herself out there at this race was one of those moments in coaching where you're simultaneously like nervous as hell, but also excited beyond belief. 
I was just through the roof with my heart rate all morning that day. I was just at rest, 85 heart rate, because I was just so excited in the same way that I used to feel before sports games. And when you're referring to her journey, she's so open on her YouTube channel about the fact that she openly struggled with an eating disorder for a long period of time. And now she's coming back after a little bit of a reset for health and for thinking about bone health and things like this. And it was so cool to see her hop on the starting line of cross country championships after going through this journey, but going through the journey, like she was talking about it openly as she was going through which is so hard which is so hard it's so hard to like talk about things as you're going through like the deep deep shit and she was doing that and I don't know I was excited to see her on the start line knowing that and knowing how much her journey embodies for so many runners who are in similar places yeah especially because you don't know where the journey is going to end while you're in the thick of it right Mm -hmm. like she could put herself on this start line and she hadn't raced in a while Maybe she goes out there and just has a rough day. And then everyone on Let's Run is bashing her and just talking shit. And it's like, that's the hard part about being vulnerable. And she's owned that in such a beautiful and inspiring way. So for me, as like a coach, more than almost any race I've ever coached, this is one that meant a lot Mm -hmm. um, because I was just living through her almost, like wanting her to succeed so badly, not because the results mattered, but because the way she's embraced the process has been so awesome. And I just wanted her to feel validated through that. So the night before, I was already getting nervous. I was already starting to get some of those pre-race poops going. (laughs) And I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, I need to figure out a bargaining mechanism to deal with this anxiety. So what I said to Megan is if I make six out of 10 shots on our four foot little tykes basketball hoop that Leo uses. Four feet is pretty generous. I would say it's like, I mean, Leo can dunk on it. So it's it's certainly not four feet, maybe like two and a half feet. Oh no. (laughs) You're calling out my height identification system. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe I'm trying to think about four feet in my head. Maybe it is four feet. No, it's not four feet. Yeah. It's probably three and a half feet or three feet. And it's very topical because I just got fitted for a bike and I had always thought I was 5'11". When I was in football at Columbia, they measured me and I think I'm six feet on my bio there. So they they confirmed this for me. And I've never gone to the doctors, never gotten measured since. And then I had to get fitted for my bike and I got measured. And you know what? I'm one of those guys on Bumble (laughs) that says they're 5'11 and they're actually 5'9 and three quarters. On Bumble? Have you ever been on Bumble? I haven't, but I've heard guys do that. Yeah. Well, I feel like on our first date, you kind of mentioned something about being six feet. And I I was like, oh, for sure. I remember this moment very clearly. And this was back before for hokas or really yeah. thing. And I was like, what kind of shoes is he wearing? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of stiletto heels does he have on? Okay. I think I was six feet back then and my spine has just compressed from the typing and the running. Well, I could see you orchestrating all different kinds of exercises to try to be six feet as a five foot eight guy. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you do anything in order to like increase your height? You know me too well. Yeah. Yeah. I would do hanging exercises where I would just hang <laughs> from things. And I was like, this is definitely a way to stretch out my body, right? Like Gumby or whatever. Just <laughs> I used to go actually, and this was pretty recently. This is probably seven years ago when we were in California. I would go out to the stairs outside of our apartment and just hang from the stairs. <laughs> yeah. So there's people that lived in our apartment complex that just would see it. It's like, oh, that's the guy that just hangs from the stairs. Well, I feel like these exercises stopped around the time that hokas were made. And you're yeah. like, I get a few, like I get three inches from hokas. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I wear mafates. I'm ready for the NBA. (laughs) I can play center. I'm Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm 7'8". But I said, if I can make six out of 10 from our three-point range. Which is, to be fair, kind of like a half-court shot. So you were were kind of overestimating the hoop. I would say you're underestimating your three-court shot. But I was like, if I can make six six out of 10, she's going to finish in the top six, which qualifies for world cross country. And I don't know why I did this, but it's something I always do where I bargain. I'm like, 
talking to some deity or someone that controls the universe. I don't know, Matthew McConaughey. He seems like he has a spiritual connection to something. And I'm like, Matthew McConaughey, will you please help me get Allie to have a great race? So I said this, and then I realized, I was like, I've never made six out of 10. So I shot, and I was three out of seven with three to go. And Megan was standing there, and she's like, David, you can just stop right now. And I was like, no, I believe. And so I made one. I made another. And then I got really nervous. Megan and Leah were watching and then made a third full swish. Everybody starts screaming. And that's when I knew the stars were aligning for cross country the next day. It was kind of mind blowing, actually. It made me believe in Matthew McConaughey. I was like, yeah, every night I'm going to be like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Dark magic. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Bless David and Addie and Leo and Chaka Milk. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. And then the next day, Allie went out and finished fourth. Um, and it was a remarkable performance by her. Um, primarily, and the reason we wanted to talk about it is because one, we wanted you to follow her. She's incredible. I'm um, pretty sure everyone already does. We should ask Allie yeah. and be like, Allie, can you tell people to follow us? That's true. <laughs> yeah, we need to really flip that equation. <laughs> she needs to say, will they smash our subscribe button? <laughs> yes, yeah. Hey, actually, if you're out there and listening, uh, we had our highest listened to episode ever last week. Please go quick follow, give it five stars, really helps us out. Um, but when she was out there, you know, she does this incredible sprint for fourth place. She does a lean and fights for every spot and she's going um, to Worlds. And the reason we wanted to mention it is because of her cross training heavy approach. She did really low running volume in this process. At most, she ran four times a week. Often it was two or three times a week. And this overlaps with what we've seen with Parker Valby, let's say, mm -hmm. who won NCAA cross. Um, and so we wanted to bring it to everyone because it's, that reminder that you don't need to do high mileage or even insane training volumes to really excel at the top level of this sport. And I think another example that we saw at U.S. cross-country championships this weekend was Morgan Pearson as well. Yes. I feel like a lot of the examples that we're using come from female athletes. And yeah. Morgan is training. He's, he was um, an Olympian, and he's training again. He's already made the team for Paris. And he's using a very heavy cross-training approach, obviously, as a triathlete. Pretty yeah. big training volumes. Like, Allie's not training 30 hours a week. Yeah. Uh, but it's really cool to see athletes coming and using these like unconventional training approaches to show up at big starting lines for running races. Morgan Pearson's Instagram, where he posts his workouts, kind of makes me shit a brick sometimes. <laughs> that guy is so good. It's, it's like the Olympic level, which he is in triathlon, is wild. And it's all from like a treadmill as he's staring at a wall. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today I saw him post something on cycling, which actually he was doing it fasted, which we'll talk about, a study mm -hmm. that came out against that. Um, but I'm sure you know he has good reasons to do it. But he was just doing it and staring directly both below at a power meter while just holding a low number of watts. And I'm like, that guy's mentally tough at a level of which I could never even dream of achieving. It's kind of wild, but I feel like it almost drives him. Like I feel yeah. like he like he kind of gets off on that. He's yeah. like, I get off at staring at a power meter. No excuses, train harder is something yes. I've heard him say before. Yeah. But in contrast, Allie was doing 10 or 11 hours a week. You can see her on Strava, see her whole training volume. Um, so the way she was structuring this is she was cross training five days a week. Um, even after the running days, we would do 30 to 45 minute cross trains doubles. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she was doing one cross training workout at least a week, big threshold sessions. We're talking 30 to 40 minutes of threshold intervals. Um, and that was up until the week before the race. So cross training wasn't just easy, but it was mostly zone one, zone two with a little bit of zone four. And how are you structuring that too, in terms of the breakdown of like elliptical versus bike yeah. versus, was she doing any swimming at all? Uh, no swimming. Yeah, yes. I would never, Thank the Lord. Yes. I would never prescribe swimming. So. I know. Whenever an athlete has to do swimming, yeah. this is like the one area that I'm like, 
just go to the pool for 60 minutes and do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. I have, I'm like, I get very into constructing like bike and elliptical yeah. workouts. And when it's time to swim, I'm like, just go bounce around in a pool. I'll sometimes put pool 30 to 90 minutes because I'm like, <laughs> I could never imagine being in a pool for longer than 30 personally. Um, like, obviously it's great for training. We totally uplift it if athletes like it. But for me, I'm just like, the pruniness alone would totally fell me by the end of 30 minutes. I know. I should just put like 30 minutes doggy paddling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so she was doing that cross training. Most of it was on the bike. Um, because bike is less impact than anything. Even mm-hmm. elliptical has a little bit of stress through the calves and Achilles and things like that. So she was doing some elliptical and particularly one elliptical workout per week, but a lot of the just baseline volume was coming from the bike. Um, and then running four days per week on average. And that would include like one workout, usually sometimes some threshold, um, and then tons of strides. Mm-hmm. So she was doing tons of running strides. I think it's really important when you're doing low running volume that strides and speed at the top end, become a little bit more of a priority. And then taking a weekly rest day too. So even though she wasn't running all the time, she was taking a day off. And that type of approach is totally accessible to everybody. We actually just came out with a low volume training plan, which you can find online for free, that has a similar approach to what Allie did. Um, So if you're out there and you're restricted to lower volume or you like cross training, just Swap Podcast is coming in again and saying, you do not need to run 100 miles a week to be one of the best runners you can possibly be and one of the best runners on the international level. And how are you structuring her long runs? Because I think when you have a slightly lower training volume in terms of running mileage, you have to think a little bit about like, okay, if you're doing a 15, 16 mile long run, that's a very significant percentage of those like three or four days a week of running. Did you think about that in terms of like the long run equation? Her long runs were shorter for the most part, like (laughs) 12-ish miles um, in general, sometimes up to 14, just because the long run stimulus is not all that important. I mean, this is something in training theory that has been basically solidified. Unless you're doing ultras, it's not like the long runs are where you develop all your fitness. The mm-hmm. fitness comes from the other things. The long runs just help you bring it together. And so cross country was a 10K, not that essential, especially if she's doing pretty solid training volume on top of it. Okay. Can we talk about for a second, the cross country course? Oh yeah. It, it, US it was cross country. It was hilarious. So I feel like in the US, a lot of our cross country courses are just like manicured golf courses. Yeah. And I feel like to add a little bit of like cross country flair, they added some hay bales and they added these like logs that yeah. stretched across the, across the like I guess it was on a was it on a golf course? I think it was just around grass fields. Yeah. So then it was they add these logs that you had to jump over, and yeah. it kind of looked hilarious. Yeah, I think it was just essentially you know one of the places that all the high school teams play games like soccer and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it reminded me of Lincoln Logs. Yes. Remember those things that used to string together? They just stuck a Lincoln Log over the thing and were like, hey, this is cross country now. Hey, jump over this. And you know how Lincoln Logs have that like little indentation in the middle, so you can stack them. Yeah. They kind of like carved the bark out of the tree, like out of the like the log on. The, around the middle of it so yeah. athletes wouldn't have like bark and i was like what are they like brazilian waxing the logs at this point to make it easier to jump over it is so u.s cross country so u.s cross country my hot take is that cross country should be on trail race courses yeah i agree like, actually remember so u.s um u.s cross country champs were held one year in bend oregon yes where max king designed it and it was like a diabolical cross country course and it was so fun and joe gray won yes trail runner. yeah and, but i think that would be a much cooler use of the sport in yeah general. like no more grass fields or like golf courses yeah. or lincoln logs that have like the, the middle Brazilian yeah. wax. It's kind of crazy. And, but if it was like that, Allie would have excelled even more because she's balancing this exactly. with running. She's yeah. going to do a full cold trail series schedule. So wanted to uplift her, uh, give her a follow and just let you know that if you're out there and you're going through something, you can live your journey openly and with vulnerability. And even if it doesn't end in triumph, like 
the amount of support and love you'll get in return will be so massive. Yeah. And it's not always going to end in triumph. Like I'm sure Ali's going to have hard races ahead just by, nature, yeah. just by nature of being human. And I'm excited to see, I mean, she's going to handle that so beautifully just given how she's done everything. And one more thing on US Cross, Cooper Tier, who won for men, did you see he was wearing a tan nose string? <laughs> was he David Roach influenced? I, I wonder, is Cooper, are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> because you don't see uh, nose strips very often at the elite level of sports, uh, like cross country. Like, oh, you see it all the time in cycling. You see this in cycling. I, I wonder if runners care a little bit more about the aesthetic. But even then, when you see it in cycling or in running, it's almost always like clear advanced types. Like they have a lot of like science driven types. No. I like the large tan nose strip, <laughs> the one that just covers up your whole face and looks horrible. Um, that's what Cooper was wearing. And to me, that shows that we're blood brothers, essentially, that we have a bond that will last for all time. You know how we did marriage vows? Cooper and I, we did nose strip vows. Are you bound by nose strip hairs? Because I feel like it was <laughs> cold at the cross country champs and it's been really cold here. Yeah. And I can't imagine wearing a nose strip in cold temperatures because you're just going to get all that like cold air up and freezing your, your nostrils. Oh, it feels so good, Megan. I know, but you have like, you have nose hairs that are basically like neoprene shoe booties, oh. <laughs> the, the equivalent for your nose. I don't. Yeah. And I feel like my whole nose is going to freeze. Oh, okay. So you're saying both Cooper and I have to have a lot of nose hair to have the airflow privilege of exactly. wearing these in cold, te cold yeah. temperatures. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to, you're getting a lot of cold air up there. It's going to freeze. You know what you need to do? What? Grow nose hair like a true woman. I know. We're going to get into our testosterone discussion ahead. Maybe if my testosterone were higher, <laughs> I have stronger nose hairs. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, speaking of your journey and triumph over adversity. What did you do this weekend? I wanted the listeners to know this. I was really excited to upload my Strava yesterday because- I had no idea this I was know, going to happen. I know. I didn't tell you for a reason because you would have been like, Megan, that's a stupid ass idea. Yeah. So I crashed my bike like two and a half weeks ago and it was going uphill, kind of a long story. If you've listened to this podcast, you heard the story. And I decided to return back to the crash site and do eight by two minute hill. Yeah. It's just to like, I needed the final word on that little bitch of a hill. <laughs> <laughs> so I uploaded Megan Strava and she was just supposed to go out in like a zone one, zone two, easy day. Instead, she goes to where she crashed, where she got so lucky to not have a more serious injury and just goes back and forth over and over and over <laughs> again. And I imagine each time you're just like, bitch ass hill over and over. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It was actually the most fun workout. I, okay. didn't, I didn't even feel pain. I was like, I just got to ride this hill. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did. And I was really impressed. It's one of those moments where I'm like, I see where our 14-month-old Leo gets so many of his traits. It's like he has this level of perseverance that I don't have to this day. He will do something with so much focus, <laughs> with so much intensity and ferocity. And I'm like, okay, he is your son for sure. It's a little scary. I feel like when he was first born, he manifested a lot of your personality traits. And yeah. I was so excited. I was like, David's genetics prevailed. And every day he's becoming more like me uh -huh. and more stubborn and more persistent. And it kind of scares me. You know what's going to be really scary? What? He's going to have your personality, your tenacity, your ferocity. And he's going to have my nose hair. <laughs> yes. It's going to be terrible. I thought you were going to say your hemoglobin. And I oh, was yeah. like, get ready, UCI cycling. <laughs> that would be that would be really good. Um, so that's been awesome. I'm just so proud of you. You also taught him to walk. I took the coaching reins um, for his walking a few months ago. And he was able to walk. But he didn't want to, I think, because I was a little bit too... Um, intense in how much I tried to get him to do it. You had like an Earl Woods phase briefly, I did. and you're like, I did. maybe I should back this up. <laughs> yeah. And so I, apparently I'm not a good Earl Woods. You came in with that 
gentle, loving energy. And now dude's like running on trails. Well, it happens so fast. I mean, yeah. he like he could walk around 11, and 11, 11 or 12 months, but he had this two to three month period where he was just like, fuck walking. Rice guard. <laughs> yeah. I He's like, learn- I'm going to crawl. And yeah. he has this unique crawl. It's kind of like an orangutan. He's like, just going to crawl like an orangutan all over our house. Yeah. Spite dad. <laughs> so you've crushed the coaching game. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. Well, it involved, it just involved making it fun. Making it fun. You were making it fun too. No, I wasn't. I was making it serious. <laughs> yeah. He had to get that Strava segment from one end of the room to the other. He had to wear a nose strip. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So this is a little bit of a science interlude that we wanted to mention. So we talked about my anxiety feelings that I had for a few weeks. How are they feeling? So good. Yeah. Um, but one of the ways that I've managed it is via a recommendation from a listener, something we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before in the context of meditation. But I've learned over time that you know what? Meditation just doesn't work in my current phase of life. (laughs) There's no time I have to really just like sit down and like be one with the universe necessarily, unless it takes out of time of running or training or being with Leo. So my meditation game has fallen off, but you know what's taken off? What? My breathing exercises game. And you're slaying it because we do it together and we do it at night. And we have this period of time at night where we lay in bed and we're holding hands. We've talked about ottering before on this podcast where you hold hands at night, naked, like two otters flowing down the river. And we do that now and we deep breathe and it's so great. You sound a little bad sometimes. I got to be honest, not to dismiss your breathing. <laughs> sometimes you're like, <sighs> that was hard breath. Uh, okay, this is because you're breathing. So the best way to do breathing exercises is to do a rate of like four and a half to seven breaths per minute. So like you, you breathe in for five, exhale out for five, repeat. You do this. You have the longest ins and outs. You probably do like 15 second exhale. And I'm over here. I don't have your hemoglobin. And I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I've learned not to mimic your breathing patterns. I ascribe to the meditation style, the yoga style, which is in for five, hold for five, out for 10 or something like that. Like, you know, four, four, eight along those types of um, ranges. And, you know, I think for you, yes, the way you do it, I'm like, sometimes I'm you need a little more oxygen. Maybe my way isn't so good because sometimes I extend it out and I'm almost like, I don't know, hibernating bear or something. I was going to say, you're like the the otter that's just ready to become a fish. Yeah. <laughs> it's like ready to never breathe again. <laughs> exactly. So there's an awesome field of research on this, including a 2022 study called The Effect of Resonance Breathing on HRV. Um, so this did four weeks of resonance breathe- breathing, which entailed 4.5 to 7 breaths per minute for 20 minutes. Uh, It was young men, 18 to 30. uh, 25 people were in the control group and the intervention group. But the fascinating thing here was the HRV change. So the HRV change in the group that was the control had no difference. The HRV change in the group that was had the intervention went up almost 20 points from 56 to 74. That is insane. That's a really big bump knowing yeah. what we see with HRV and especially across a cohort like this. But what I love too is I feel like for me, HRV, we're still trying to figure out like the causal relationships between what does an increase in HRV actually mean? Yeah. But it was paired. So they also looked at stress and cognitive control. And the group that did the breathing exercise had reduced stress and improved cognitive control in yeah. addition to the HRV. And so I was like, okay, there's actually something that's going on with this intervention group that it's doing the breathing and it made me excited. So do you think I can keep you up with the breathing exercises? Are we going to continue this process? Well, you want to breathe all of the time. I do. It's like your sexy language. You're like poking me at night and I'm ready to go to bed. And you're like, will you breathe with me? I think I said it to you last night at 3 a.m. when you couldn't sleep. It's like, do you want to breathe? (laughs) I'm like, I'm breathing already, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) But it's my new thing. If you're out there, just you can incorporate this. Often I'll do it when I'm at the computer and doing something a little bit lower key. Obviously, it should be one with the universe rather than while working. But for me right now, 
that served a really good purpose. It just kind of helped me get myself under control a little bit. And I think it's probably through the same mechanism in this study, increased parasympathetic and decreased sympathetic activity in the nervous system. So think about your breathing a little bit more in this context. It can be really helpful. During training, you don't need to think about it so much. We don't necessarily agree with some of the theses there about um, breath control and nose breathing and things like that. It's just not that relevant to athletes during training, but outside of training sometimes might be beneficial. Well, I think this is kind of a great grounding thing to do before competition, before workouts. Like sometimes I feel like my, I'm just a little bit like I have that strong fight or flight response before those. And it's nice to kind of calm that down a little bit and be in a slightly different brain state. And so I feel like breathing helps a ton with that. You know when I should do it? What? Before dinner. <laughs> yeah. I get so excited. I'm just like, oh, DoorDash is coming soon. And maybe that's what causes all of my anxiety. It's just this anticipation, Megan, it's for true. DoorDash. We should do it before we go to Trader Joe's too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'd have very like sensual eye contact with <laughs> <laughs> the Trader Joe's cashiers. So true. Okay. On to a quick hitter fueling study. This one is incredibly provocative and it just came out. Um, and we wanted to bring it to you all because I think it's going to be one of those that alters the way people think in this entire world. Uh, it was published in the journal Nutrients, and it's called A Five-Week Periodized Carbohydrate Diet Does Not Improve Maximal Lactate Steady State Exercise Capacity and Substrate Oxidation in Well-Trained Cyclists. Um, very, very, very simple design here. It took 17 highly trained male cyclists with a 71 VO2 max. Which is, that's a legit elite at cyclist group. That's yeah. awesome. These yeah. athletes were all competing at the under 23 level uh, um, of elite cycling. So very advanced athletes. It periodized them, basically cut them in half. Um, not the athletes, the groups. <laughs> uh, into a low carb group and a high carb group. Um, the periodized group did 13 of their sessions over the five weeks with low carb availability. What they tried to do, which was really fascinating, is back it up with research-driven practices. Mm-hmm. So based on the theory and what other studies have said, they tried to put that into practice with advanced athletes, um, which I really like. They didn't just do this willy-nilly. Um, and then the carb group just tried to ensure you know, carbs before, during, after. And the results I thought were fascinating. And I also think we're going to go into this in a second. Both of us were looking at this study from like a slightly different angle yeah. in terms of what we were expecting for results. So the results essentially showed there were no differences between the groups. Um, yeah. So they were looking at elements of performance. Um, they were looking at elements of body composition. Um, and, and substrate oxidation. And substrate oxidation, yes. Yeah. And I think that's the most relevant one. So the way I was looking at this study is My notion here, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, obviously we're team carbohydrates, right? Like I am in the pocket of big cookie. (laughs) (laughs) I love that shit so much. And I want my athletes to feel always, but you've heard this disclaimer from me before. This difference is in male athletes that sometimes doing low carbohydrate fueling before activities, especially low intensity ones may improve fat oxidation. And this study turns that disclaimer on its head. In fact, we might not need that disclaimer at all because they saw no difference. I would have predicted that five weeks is plenty of time with 13 sessions to see some difference in fat oxidation, even if you don't see other changes. So for me, this is a great thing. I'm like, all right, more, even more team carb. Sign me up, big cookie. Get me that affiliate fee. Well, I'll sell some Dunkaroos. <laughs> well, you were going in with that hypothesis, but I was going in with a slightly different hypothesis in the sense that I was slightly disappointed, actually, that the group that was fueling their training more didn't have stronger gains in terms of performance or even in terms of like body composition changes, looking yeah. at like lean mass or, um, or some of these other variables. And so I think we were like coming in with slightly different assumptions. See, but I think that it's all based on the study design, right? Like they weren't doing everything low carb. They only did 13 sessions across five weeks, which for athletes that are training really hard is not that substantial. Um, so what they're trying to do there is get all the benefits of carbs, periodizing it, mm-hmm. all the benefits with none of the drawbacks of, you know, always being perhaps even overfueled. There's, um, and the theory would be based on past research that what that should do, the old, um, 
sleep low, train high, that type mm-hmm. of approach is that what these athletes would get to bump up their fat oxidation while still getting the high power from carb intake when they intake carbs. So I think for me, that actually is a hopeful thing that I would have expected, maybe it's just my bias, that these athletes would have seen more benefit. And the fact that they didn't see any benefit, especially when it's in conjunction with our next discussion on hormones and testosterone, gives me a lot, a lot, a lot of excitement to be even more team carb in the future. Well, I would love to roll the study out over like 12 or 18 weeks because I feel like if you repeat those sessions enough, I feel like it's you're putting your body at risk for a negative hormone cascade in yes. terms of like testosterone and um, for female athletes in terms of estradiol. And um, when, also that's a good point is this was only male athletes. Yeah. I imagine you repeat the study in female athletes and you would have more of the hypothesis that yeah. I would expect that this group that's doing the stronger the stronger feeling across these 13 sessions actually does better. Yeah. I think one of the reasons they did male athletes is that with female athletes, this would, even if it got approval ethically, it would not work at all. And that's pretty much um, not disputed. And I think another thing that's interesting here is that they were advanced athletes. Mm -hmm. So the big overarching conclusion that I come to is that if you're training hard, as a male athlete, you're already close to optimized on these variables. Um, that The training alone will do it. And you don't need to overthink carb availability and fasting and all of that. That's not necessary. Maybe for some big, like early stage male athletes, there's some low-hanging fruit that you might be able to accelerate that process a little bit. But to borrow Morgan Freeman's, uh, or Morgan Freeman, <laughs> Morgan Pearson. <laughs> It'd be very funny. Morgan I was Freeman. like, what does Morgan Freeman say about carbs? <laughs> be so cool if he was talking about this. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> be He'd be best. like, say it in the most serious voice, like chocolate. <laughs> we broke out from Shawshank with <laughs> Dunkaroos. Chocolate milk. <laughs> um, but what he said is like, no excuses, train harder. It's like, basically, yeah. Like yeah. if you train harder, probably a lot of this that all the body hack people you know, posit about like carbohydrate restriction, time restricted eating, all of that. Probably all of it just falls by the wayside once you train well enough for your body to adapt. Well, I, my theory is that I feel like fat oxidation more closely correlates with health and hormones yeah. than it does even like how you train necessarily. And I feel like I would much rather have the health and hormones in a better state than try to mess around with low carb feeling. You know what that's a perfect transition to? Testosterone. Testosterone science. Yes. We have to say, when you say testosterone, you have to say it like in a beefy way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really cool word. It is a cool word, isn't testosterone. it? Testosterone. Do you know what's even cooler? What? Gonads. Gonads. Yeah. <laughs> the, there was a lot of gonads in the articles I was reading today. Oh, yeah. Gonads are the producers of testosterone. And yeah. isn't it? It's just a fun word to say. <laughs> I think it means seed, seed in Latin. Seed? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> did you look that up or did you know that from your Latin studies? No, I took an etymology class in medical school. Oh, my gosh. I know. Random things coming back. You come into the class and just written on the whiteboard. Gonads. I know. I'd be like, this is my dream syllabus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason we're talking about this, it's a complicated subject, but it's so important for athletes to understand their endocrine system, what we talk about all the time, their hormonal context, is something we have a lot of influence over. Um, and the reason it's tricky to talk about this is because it's such an important thing for how you feel and how you perform that athletes have cheated to raise their levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to be very clear that supplementation with exogenous testosterone is cheating and is not what we're talking about. Like, um, there was a place for athletes who do not compete to talk to their doctors about testosterone replacement therapy. Mm -hmm. That is not what we're talking about today. This is talking about, okay, athletes that are trying to perform at their best, 
how much does this chemical matter and how much does it matter for both men and women? I was going to say, I was just, I'm really glad you brought that point up because I feel like so much of the testosterone conversation is centered around men, but yeah. women, and there's there's not a ton of, there's some research, which we'll get into, but there's not a ton of research on women and testosterone levels. And I think there needs to be a lot more, but it is highly relevant for women, for performance, for health. And so yeah. I think I'm excited to dive into it. And then one more disclaimer is that this uh, discussion point is often weaponized in the conversation around trans athlete inclusion. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we just want to be clear about is that, you know, when we're talking about trans athlete inclusion, the current approaches that allow it allow for testosterone level changes. Like that's what is required. And so, for example, with the athletes we coach, the trans athletes um, have lower testosterone levels than the female athletes we coach. So this is a place where Testosterone is so powerful that once you control for it, our whole point is that trans women are women mm -hmm. um, in the context of sport, especially endurance sport, because the this is such a strong driver that once it's reduced, um, these athletes do not um, sustain an advantage that they might get um, from you know the male testosterone presence. And I think another area where kind of the discussions have become a little bit problematic is around disorders of sex differences. Yes. And with athletes like Castor Semenya, and I think we have we take a very inclusive like viewpoint of that. And I think that's another area sometimes where these conversations are a little bit fraught. Yeah, but also we're really open as always with that stuff. Like <laughs> we love everyone, and we just want people to you know be able to express themselves fully in their athletic lives and in their entire lives. And so we're open to changes and all that. But we just wanted to say that at the outset, that this is not touching on that. If you want to hear our thoughts, go back to episode 48, which is all about that subject and talks much more um, in depth. Okay. So let's just do a quick overview here. So people have a general understanding. Um, these testosterone levels influence recovery, physical health, mental health. Um, they likely have a genetic set point. We're not all trying to like max out the levels at the very top of the chart. You're just trying to make sure you're not at the low end of your genetic set point. Um, they're heavily influenced by endurance training. We're going to mm -hmm. get into some studies on that by nutrition and by stress. There might even be some supplement approaches that could help improve testosterone. Um, and the biggest conclusion of all, and what we want to talk about today is that training approaches, how you think about training should be designed to optimize this. And sometimes oh, some training approaches are just designed to optimize numbers on a chart and uh, miss the endocrine system because it's not being measured. And that is just a huge missed opportunity. And the way we think about training theory should be grounded in the endocrine system. Well, I think the challenge of viewpoints like that is, yes, you're optimizing perhaps numbers on the chart, but it's just short-term numbers on the chart. When we're talking mileage. Yes, because I feel like if you if you think about that in the short-term, like the numbers on the chart crater in the long-term. Yeah. But let's dive into this. And I think, well, there's certainly podcasters and different sources that have gone, done a deep dive into testosterone. And so let's, we'll kind of like simmer into it, into it slightly, but I would much rather focus on like the training and the yeah. nutrition and some of the approaches for how we think about testosterone. You're talking about Andrew Huberman? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A vague reference. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, I've heard he talks about testosterone a lot. A lot, a, a lot. lot. Yes. Yeah. And, and we, total respect, uh, you know, not, not downplaying that, but also <laughs> yeah. not, not delving into that world either. That's not our, our discussion's more about training here. Um, so the, for men, gonads, that's the key term. For women, too. Gonads. Yes. Gonads are the- Wait, women have gonads? <laughs> I, I'm actually not aware of that. Ovaries? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be so excited about gonads if women didn't have them. Oh, it has to be God. equal. Everyone has gonads. I women. thought you were just talking about testicles. <laughs> <laughs> this is the male-centric viewpoint. <laughs> <laughs> you tell I didn't go to Stanford Medical School? Yeah. Well, I also, I mean, I, if I it's they... Latin for seed, we all have seed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
talk about biology oh, 101 what were you doing in health class megan do you, you remember just where there. i went to school yeah that's true you they didn't talk about gonads they were my, like this is just how you don't get your partner pregnant yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even that i mean we we didn't talk about that stuff either so just pray to jesus and hope for the best <laughs> um, <laughs> okay so um Gonads for both. <laughs> yeah. Th- those are the primary driver. So for men, the testes are um, where testosterone is primarily secreted. For women, it's the ovaries. There's also a smaller component from the adrenal glands. Yes. Um, so the adrenal glands produce a smaller amount of testosterone. Um, and it's kind of interesting to think about how it's actually very complicated to go into like the mode of testosterone production and secretion. Yeah. And then also downstream from that, in women, the conversion of testosterone into estradiol is mm-hmm. really important for health. And so I feel like we can almost have like a biochemical poster. So in med school, I had this giant biochemistry poster of so many different reactions. Yeah. And I feel like we could do the same with testosterone at the focus, which would arguably be a cooler poster. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like, I mean, it's involved in so many different processes that we're yeah. not going to go into, but I feel like it's just the start of health and just the start of interactions with other hormones. And that's one of the coolest things about biochemistry in general and training adaptation, all of these things we're talking about. If you actually could model every single thing that's going on, the chart would be as big as the biggest wall you have. And so whenever we talk about this stuff, whether it's the power of hill strides or workout design or rest days or whatever, you're essentially trying to summarize that wall of information. And so anyone that simplifies it excessively is missing something. And that's one of the complicated things with testosterone is that there's so many things that touch on it that you don't know exactly where the drivers are. We're going to get into that a little bit when we talk about some of the supplements that people recommend in the sense that they don't even know exactly what they do. Um, But they see that maybe in a couple random studies, they have some driving effect on this. And so the point being, we don't know exactly what's happening here all the time. And especially in athletes, that can get complicated. Uh, And then finally, there's a role of sex hormone binding globulin. Mm -hmm. If you remember, this was the variable on my blood test that was really, really high. And that's relevant because only about two to 3% of testosterone is unbound. Um, And sex hormone binding globulin is one of the primary ways uh, that testosterone essentially doesn't get taken up in the bloodstream. So for me, even though my testosterone levels were fine, um, my overall free testosterone might have been a little bit low because of this number. And in endocrinology, the free hormone hypothesis is the idea that the free hormones are what actually matters in terms of function. And so the sex hormone binding globulin then becomes very relevant. Yes. There's a lot of questions, as we talked about on last week's episode, of like, does it have other like feedback mechanisms and things like that? And we won't go into that today. But I do think it's relevant for all athletes, female athletes included, to think about sex hormone binding globulin. And albumin also plays a big yes, role here. Yeah. So a lot going on. Um, but just to summarize what matters for athletes is that training, especially endurance training, can actually reduce testosterone levels. This goes against some of the things you might've heard that, hey, go out and train. It's going to improve your sex drive and function and all of that. It's like, actually it kind of can work differently. And there's one primary research in this field named A.C. Hackney. Tony Hackney. AC, it says A.C. His name's Anthony Hackney. I don't know him. Yeah, I know him. He's a good, he, I do a lot of research with him. He's awesome. Oh, Tone Tone. I forgot about Tone Tone. I know Tony. (laughs) I remember the T man. So AC Hackney, that's what his name is on the study. So I'm sticking with it. I'm not comfortable with Tony. Um, A good example is from 2018 in the Journal of Biochemistry, uh, published chronic low testosterone in endurance trained men. Um, So what happens is often men that are doing endurance training are on the low end of normal. um, And it can be even lower than that. So 15 to 25% of men end up in this um, phase. And essentially, it's a dysfunction or disruption within the hypothalamic pituitary testicular regulatory axis. Nailed it. Did I nail it? Yes, Yes, nailed it. Way better than gonads. (laughs) There's gonads involved. No, I was going to say, no, gonads are still better, but your pronunciation and understanding was better (laughs) than gonads. (laughs) Um, But the timescale of this isn't just like 
20 years of overtraining, it can even happen pretty short term. So another 2018 study found a 25 to 45% decrease in testosterone levels in men after 18 weeks of intensive training. So usually this takes years to present, but it can happen pretty quick. Um, so it's one reason to think about it because if you're overtraining or if your body isn't optimized, yeah, you can start to push this number down. And if you do that, you're going to feel worse in everyday life, probably have lower sex drive, definitely feel worse in training. And that type of thing can add up over time. And there's also the interaction of exercise and age. And so for men, in testos- testosterone can drop like 1% to 2% every year yeah. after like the late 20s to early 30s. And so if you think about that interaction with endurance exercise, it's a lot coming together. There's actually a term adrenopause, um, which they like tried to make a parallel menopause uh, for men, but it doesn't quite hold because women like hormones drop pretty precipitously. Whereas for men, men, this it's more of like a slow linear decline. So it doesn't quite hold. Interesting. So that would be something I imagine like in your mid forties or something where where you have like decreased sex drive, um, changes in body composition, changes in like how your body puts on muscle changes, energy, energy level and vitality. But a lot of the researchers are like, no, like I like the name. No. I like the name, yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, the the contrast there is really fascinating and that men might have this steady downward decline, which you can alter, but just if we're across the population of one to two mm-hmm. percent or whatever, yeah. um, but it kind of stays that way with some changes. Whereas women, like there's a pretty big hormonal shift and that might- It's explain, almost like a cliff to some extent. Yeah. It might, yeah. might explain one reason why women can excel so much longer at the elite level of sport, mm-hmm. whereas male careers are usually a little bit shorter. Like at 35, I'm already going through my adreno phase <laughs> yeah. to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. Whereas like, you know, this equivalent woman probably would be firing on all cylinders better than ever before. But I think the, for women, menopause is much more stark and sudden yes. and hard than- And perimenopause too. Is and perimenopause too. Then would be like- if, if we actually use the term adrenopause, I think it would, it's almost like kind of unfair comparisons between the two. Can't we just like t- change the names altogether and say, hey, it's called menopause? <laughs> yeah. We get it. You yeah. guys are finding a new term. <laughs> yeah. You're going to take adrenopause. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I would take adrenopause. It sounds, okay, okay. it sounds better, to be honest with you, than menopause. You don't want men Symptom-wise. <laughs> yeah. You also don't want men anywhere close to your term. <laughs> yes, yeah. And we're seeing similar studies come out in women as well. So there's a 2021 study called The Influence of Female Sex Hormones on Ultra-Running Performance and Posters Recovery, the Role of Testosterone. Mm-hmm. And in the study, they, they looked at 18 female ultra-endurance athletes. And what they found were, was similar was that these participants, on average – had much lower, it was low normal, but much lower ranges of average testosterone um, competing as endurance athletes. And that's so different than like what I would think in practice. You know, like you don't often hear testosterone mentioned in the female athlete context, but in coaching, you know, we get all these panels from like, let's say inside tracker, Mm -hmm. where you get to see athletes trajectories over time. They display in a really cool visual manner. And what you'll see is that testosterone does seem sometimes within athlete ranges to mirror training interventions, over stress, mm-hmm. lack of sleep, like becoming a parent, like any number of different things. But it's never something I've been told as a coach outside of my interactions with you to like, look at testosterone. It might be a little indicator of some other things. And you can also look at ratios too. So there's a, the testosterone to cortisol ratio, which is yeah. often a biomarker that's used to kind of look at overtraining or perhaps like response to training. Also testosterone to estradiol ratio. So all different ways in which you can look at ratios. But this study actually found a protective role of testosterone against muscle damage. They were looking mm. at CK, creatinine kinase, as an indicator of muscle breakdown. And what they were finding was that women with higher levels of testosterone were actually having yeah. less muscle damage from 
participating in an ultra race itself. What's so weird about this too is that, you know, I think it's hard to consider just how much individuals have ranges mm-hmm. for all these numbers. It, it goes for men too. Obviously, men's ranges are much, much higher at baseline. Also, they fluctuate a yeah. ton. So there's a ton. So actually, testosterone is called a diurnal variable in the sense that it has day-to-day fluctuation. And honestly, if you went for a 15-mile run yeah. and then got your testosterone tested at 3 p.m., probably a lot of men, if they were like looking to get on testosterone therapy, you should not do this. Um, you could actually like drop your testosterone, your total testosterone levels by like 300. Counter what if I was <laughs> listening to Limp Biscuit? Yeah, yes. I did it all for the nookie. My <laughs> testosterone would be so high, Megan. I'd finish and my testosterone would be like 1500. If you did that and tested at 7 a.m., which is often, it's like, probably like between like 7 to 10 a.m. when your levels are the highest. Yeah. I bet you could shred. <laughs> <laughs> really, as a society, we don't talk enough about the new metal movement of the late 90s and early 2000s (laughs) and just how much it influenced an entire generation. Like about 45% of my brain is Limp Biscuit. If you took me in an MRI, the other 20% is like corn. Um, Like I'm just like freak on a leash. (laughs) So maybe that's the big solution here. As we talk about, um, you know, ways to improve your testosterone is you listen to Limp Biscuit. No, no. Um, Is to think about like, okay, how can we actually influence these numbers in a healthy way? Because what we're saying here is not testosterone matters that much, like in a specific way, is that testosterone is a proxy for a number of different health issues. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Um, in that by optimizing your testosterone levels, usually you're optimizing your overall health. From your individual baseline. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it's just a health variable that then touches a lot of other things um, because the endocrine system is just the guide guide for so much of this. Um, and maybe the main area of research where you see uh, testosterone driving is in REDS, mm-hmm. Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport, a place you've worked a lot and seen a lot of this data. And it's actually a biomarker for men in terms of, okay, like, this is if you have clinically low levels of testosterone, yeah. this is a severe indicator that we need to think about reds um, for an athlete. Interestingly, it's not for female. And I think that's because females, and that's because there's like a paucity of data on yeah. females and testosterone levels. And I also heard that it's because often female endurance athletes have low normal levels. And so yeah. like, what do we do with that? But I think that by itself is an interesting data point and interesting fact. Also complicated though, for female endurance athletes, because um, in, at least in what I see when athletes have PCOS, yes. sometimes mm-hmm. their testosterone levels are quite high, um, and just a baseline. So, you know, in those athletes, as we've seen in studies out of Finland, get more selected for elite sport often. Um, so it points out that testosterone can be very important, but also points out that, you know, individual numbers are what matter here rather than across a population. Like if you're a woman and your levels are a little lower, that's fine. Similarly, if you're a man, your levels are a little lower often it's fine. It's just a question of how can we get it a little higher, which gets to the interventions we're talking about. Yeah. What would you do? So male athlete, let's start with a male athlete. We'll go into yeah. female athlete later. Male athlete comes to you as a coach, has levels of testosterone that are low normal or, or decreasing or decreasing, but are not experiencing symptoms. I yeah. mean, I feel like this is something that I see often is an athlete's feeling pretty darn good, goes, gets their blood tested and testosterone pops up as like low normal. How do you handle that as a coach? So when I see blood work, the first things I look at are ferritin, vitamin D, the red blood cell carrying numbers like hemoglobin. And then I scroll down to testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin. Because it's not just testosterone. If sex hormone binding globulin is really high and testosterone is not also really high, those are also when I start thinking about these interventions. And so I think we can just break it down because it kind of overlaps for, for both genders. The first is energy availability. Um, 
basically protein, fat, and carbs all have their role here. For female athletes, carbs, even a little bit more important, but um, there's studies on all three that show its role both for testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin. Literally get all the macronutrients yes. in the house. Like I feel like actually sex hormone binding globulin and fat. So fat is a big, if you're low, if you're too high on sex hormone binding globulin, like thinking about bumping up your fat intake and is protein, one, yeah. one possible intervention and protein it's and harsh. carbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard to throw all the macronutrients into the fire. Ever since my sex hormone binding globulin came back is, I believe it's 56, right? Yeah. Which uh-huh. is the highest I've ever seen. Um, which is not good. I think putting <laughs> so much olive oil into everything. So um, I made the soup and I don't know if you saw, but what I did is we've been using ghee, but we ran out. So today I just took like a half of a stick of butter <laughs> yeah. and put it in. So it's going to taste delicious, uh, but I'm trying to get these numbers up and that's the way I'm doing it. Actually, ghee is an amazing source of short chain fatty acids, yeah. um, which can probably help with sex hormone binding globulin, like lowering that value. But it's also damn tasty. I had this bias. I was like, ghee seems like it's like produced on like hippie communes yeah. or something. But man, like toss some ghee and some butter on toast. It's delicious. It's so good. Short chain. I want long and girthy chain fatty acids. <laughs> Yeah. None, of this, none of this little house in the prairie. We went long chain house in the prairie. The classic man stuff. But yeah, Red S is the first place to look here, especially um, you know for, for athletes, because probably what we're seeing in the studies that show endurance training reduces testosterone partially is just being at energy deficits. Like there's this great field of research about within day energy deficits. Mm-hmm. And for both men and women, it found like reduced testosterone to cortisol ratio. So testosterone lower, cortisol higher. Um, and so energy deficits within a day also matter. The place I would look first is are you having a big breakfast? Um, Because if you're training without that type of fueling, um, that can really start to torpedo some of these numbers pretty quickly. And then on top of fueling, the next place that I go is often vitamins and minerals. The first being vitamin D. The number of times that I see low testosterone or high sex binding globulin in conjunction with vitamin D is high. Um, And so actually, honestly, the data are kind of mixed on vitamin D. They They look at like vitamin D in conjunction with everything and your mom. Yeah. But I like- And my mom? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, your mom, yeah, Megan, yeah. our listeners' moms. Yes, everyone's moms. Uh, but I feel like it's, I mean, it's so helpful for thinking about hormone optimization. Yeah. And like we've seen anecdotally, athletes that bump up their vitamin D seem to do quite well. And vitamin D is complicated on a, a population level, as you said. Yes, indicated. there's so many confounding variables because it often relates to general health. And so it's, it's really, really hard to untangle. And a lot of the research is challenging. But I mean, I think if you're low on vitamin D or even low normal, I like athletes to be above 50, honestly, which is like much higher. Often the reference range cutoff point is like 20 on the low end. And realistically, the number of times I see 50 in blood work is very rare. Yes. Yeah. I've actually, I have seen like too high of vitamin D. Maybe I've looked at probably thousands of blood panels yeah. at this point, maybe only a small handful of times. So it's different than iron. And yes. a lot of people can get overloaded in iron. So we're always a million hedges of our bets when it comes to iron supplementation. Vitamin D, you should probably be on. A lot of people take up 5,000, 10,000 IU. I don't necessarily suggest that. That's something yes. you should get a blood test for. Be cautious. Yes. But what Megan's turned me on to is the power of bioactive chews. Okay. They're basically like Tootsie Rolls with some vitamin minerals tossed in there. What I was just thinking is they actually kind of suck. They don't taste good. Oh, they taste delicious. What are you talking about? Megan, don't hate on my bioactive chews. Imagine if it was candy that didn't have vitamin D. Uh, if you went to a Halloween house- I would still love it. If you went to a Halloween house that had bioactive- in another house next door, <laughs> yeah, like, fuck that house. Very true. That's, that's fair. Because it has calcium and vitamin D, we're all about it. I've been doing that um, and I think it helps. Actually, I had to have an intervention with you because you know you 
once you get turned on to something, you really get uh-huh. turned on to something yeah. like Limp Bizkit. It's going to occupy like bioactive chews are going to occupy like a 40% space in your brain. Yeah. I was like, you can only have <laughs> two of these a day, David. I'm watching. <laughs> that is very true. We were talking about how much ice baths or cold baths seem to help your body. You know, you have this inflammation condition, essentially your autoimmune condition, and you very rarely do them, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, even though we know they help you. I mean, they're cold. Your feet freeze. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just like, it's an investment. I've got a baby. I, we got a lot going on. But then you get out of them and you're the most giddy human alive, <laughs> probably because it reduces some of your cellular level inflammation. If I had any intervention that made me feel that good, how many times per day do you think I would do it? Yeah, you would not even like go ice bath route. You would just go to Antarctica. You'd be <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I need to live in the cold. <laughs> My whole life is going to be a perma ice bath. <laughs> so true. We're so different in that respect. Uh, just, you know, I like to feel good. I like to, tr- and actually, better way to say that is I like to feel like I'm making progress. Yes. You're also very sensitive to how you feel. I'm a sensitive bitch. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. You're a sensitive lip biscuit bitch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, then other vitamins, minerals, zinc really matters here. We'll brush over this much faster. Magnesium, omega-3s. These are all connected to sex hormone binding globulin and testosterone. Um, and then one other thing on the nutrition front is there's a possible role of vegetarian diets at increasing sex hormone binding globulin. Yes. Data uh, are mixed again. Yeah. And yeah. also, you know, because you're a meat eater. <laughs> yes. I eat quite a lot of meat and mine was very high. So it just shows that once you zoom into individual data points, none of these single variables are the driver except maybe energy availability as a whole yeah. under fueling your training. My guess actually with vegetarian diets is that it might be related to lean body mass. So yeah. often if you have higher lean body mass or high, higher muscle mass, your testosterone is a little bit higher. And sometimes for vegetarian athletes, it's harder to build or put on muscle, depending upon like if you're not supplementing protein and and doing some of these other things to help drive that protein intake. Yeah. And then final little note on the energy availability front is the study we talked about earlier on training low versus training high and finding no difference in performance outcomes. Um, You know, I think the one place where let's say fasted training becomes a big issue is if you start to measure these variables longer term. Mm -hmm. Um, And because we ignore the endocrine system, we ignore the impacts that like Earlier in the study, you could be like, well, there's no performance impact, so maybe it's fine to do these dietary interventions. The question becomes, well, what happens after 12 weeks, 18 weeks of underfueling this? And probably where my bad numbers came from um, on sex hormone binding globulin is because my breakfasts were, just weren't big enough. And then because of childcare, your runs were getting pushed back. Like yeah. We now start our runs together around 9 o'clock. And if you're not having a big breakfast, I mean, if you're waking up at 5 a.m., which we often do, yeah. and not fueling until nine. That's like a long portion of the day that's spent with like within an, within an energy deficit. But then lunch, Megan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> tasted so good. No. So I'm really stepping up my breakfast game. I'm, I've been getting 45 grams of protein or 50 grams of protein sometimes at breakfast. Pretty wild shit. Okay. High five. I know. That's boss. Yeah. The, uh, the amount of oatmeal I eat is getting kind of scary. This whole time I thought I couldn't really eat that much before I run. And I've learned that not only can I eat a lot, I might have a clinical problem. <laughs> yeah, the amount of, you're just eating four boxes of Viactive chews before you run. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they each have each little chew has 0.0 grams or 0.05 grams of protein. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Um, so let's talk about training interventions. I'd say the first big one here is rest days. Yes. So yep. rest days are an endocrine system reset. And again, a thing that's missed. A lot of training philosophies and people that are out there training, are like, oh well, I don't need to take a rest day. I can go out there and do whatever, whether it's an hour bike or eight mile jog or what any of that stuff. And in rest days, you're just getting an endocrine system insurance policy. My guess is based on my numbers. If I didn't have my weekly rest day, um, my testosterone would also have been much lower. And Mm -hmm. if that happened, 
like right now my free testosterone is okay. So I'm still able to feel pretty good. Um, but if that had happened, if I hadn't taken rest days, probably I would have been cratered and just like a very sad, tired boy. <laughs> it's scary to think about. Also, it's even more scary to think about you as a sad boy. Yeah. yeah. I'm so sad. <laughs> yeah. um, but that applies to everybody, especially female athletes. If you're out there, make sure you're taking a rest day a week. And on that rest day, don't just add other stuff. Yes. Yeah. You know? Which actually brings me to strength training. I feel like that rest day is a good day to just be full rest. Yeah. But strength training itself is very important for testosterone levels. As I talked about putting on muscle, like building that lean body mass is really helpful for like hormone production and get out there, like be a powerful athlete. Yes. My like running is a power sport. My mantra right now is from Lauren Fleshman. Like I want to be a strong ass woman yeah. and I'm down there like lifting weights and it feels so good. Like squatting, squatting heavy and like enjoying that process. Yeah. I don't know if this joke's okay, so we'll just You're, cut it out. Just now. make it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, if my sex hormone binding globulin goes any higher, I'll be a medium ass woman well, <laughs> yeah. in terms of how my hormones are actually expressing. Um, okay, and then you know, as it relates to training overall, most training should be easy, right? Like that's where all of this comes in because once you start putting too much in the high intensity zones, any more than you know twenty or thirty percent, you start to essentially just put a massive stress weight onto your endocrine and nervous systems. And all of the stuff that we talk about when, with training philosophy essentially comes back to your endocrine system. If it's tuned up to the max, not only will you feel your best, but your adaptation rates will be mm-hmm. turned up to your best. And so sometimes the numbers we see on Strava or whatever are actually correlated to an endocrine system shitstorm. And sometimes athletes can perform pretty well, especially if they have a genetic um, predisposition to being high, mm-hmm. but eventually it comes for us all. So you need to watch that, especially long-term and as you age. Yeah. Sexy Strava sometimes leads to like the unsexiest of blood panels. It's yes. really hard. And it's hard because it's like, sometimes I, I have coached athletes that are really like attached to those final week numbers. And it's like, we got to move away from that. Yeah. Like, you know, it's all about the health and the hormone context and what you're adapting to. Speaking of which stress and sleep, I'm going to throw in the bucket, yeah. the training bucket, like stress reduction, um, improving sleep, like really thinking about the two of those in tandem, I feel like also so helpful for athletes. Yeah. It's kind of like, sometimes you want to listen to, you know, I did it all for the nookie. And then other times you want to listen to when he's saying that song, behind blue eyes, which was not very good at, uh, you know, it didn't really sound good, but it was much slower. And so your limp biscuit has to go the full range from intense to easy limp biscuit. Um, so yeah, stress levels, super important here. Sleep levels, super important. And, um, you know, I think sometimes everyone knows that. So we shouldn't lecture them too much, but maybe this is where things like breathing exercises come in handy. I was just going to talk about breathing. I oh. feel like breathing, it's like you're going to go to Antarctica and just like breathe down there for, <laughs> <laughs> for every waking moment of the day. Exactly. Me and the penguins yeah. being very, very stress-free. Actually, have you noticed sometimes that when we do breathing exercises, you leave the TV on? Yeah. You're probably like in your own like little like breathing world. You know, honestly- But I, we should try it to Limp Biscuit. This is where I'm going. I need to optimize my breathing just a little bit more because I was thinking about it a little bit that like- you know, it is supposed to be a pretty meditative time <laughs> yeah. where you are getting that Matthew McConaughey, uh, all right, all right, all right, one with the cosmos. Yeah, he actually directs. There's like meditation app that he has like a number of like meditative sessions on. What? I know. That's yeah. so cool. I, I'm blanking on the name of it. I downloaded it at one point and clearly it has gone, <laughs> yeah, by, yeah, gone yeah. by the wayside. Yeah. At some <laughs> oh, point calm. This, it's calm. At some point in this podcast, we had talked about doing more meditation. And once you have a kid, it's like, Maybe when he's a little older, we'll be able to do that. <laughs> um, and then maybe the final bucket of controversy is in other supplements that are illegal. So, you know, again, here, there are Ill- illegal supplements. Exogenous testosterone is illegal. DHEA is illegal. Like all of that stuff, it, it is not okay to take under any circumstances um, unless you're never going to compete and a doctor is doing it and all of that. Um, but there are other supplements that 
you know, some people like Huberman might say helped these numbers a little bit. And, you know, to, let's give it credit. There is some interesting evidence on some of them, but the problem is there are small studies. You never know the driver. And honestly, it just seems like it's kind of putting the cart before the horse sometimes. Yeah. They scare me a bit. And I feel like I have this like intrinsic bias with supplement names. Yeah. And for whatever reason in the space of like improving testosterone, they all have like supplement names that kind of like hit my brain in a weird way. So, okay, we'll go through like three of them. One is boron. Yes. That kind of feels like- It's, it's like a mineral though. So. It's a mineral. It's That's that's legit. But it feels like it's going to give me radiation or something. <laughs> Doesn't it just like the name, the sound of it? So let's-, let's Maybe it's because it sounds like right on. Okay. Yeah. The second is- uh, Tonkat Ali, which is something that actually Huberman recommends, that makes me feel like I'm going to go on this, like, I'm going to, like, bite people's heads off in the jungle from yeah. my high testosterone I mean, levels. It sounds like an amazing name for, like, a boxer or something. Yeah, right? You know? Like, and that's, that's like, I don't know. I feel like those are, like, the vibes I'm going to take on when I take that testosterone. <laughs> I'm going to go, like, embody a cat. Yeah. And the then, other is fenugreek. Yeah. And I feel like that does shit. It sounds like some like Mediterranean diet where we're like, well, this does something. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's my intrinsic bias, not science-based at all. Yeah. I'll have the, the fenugreek salmon. <laughs> yes. With, yeah. uh, Which does nothing for testosterone. Yeah, no, but actually, I, I do think fenugreek has some some evidence. But I mean, that's the thing. It's complicated. I mean, Inside Tracker actually recommends ashwagandha and fenugreek when you get blood work like mine. Um, and I had never heard of fenugreek before. And I'm not going to take it, but the ashwagandha is something that probably has been hugely protective because it's in my athletic greens that I take. Yes. Actually, I think ashwagandha is excellent. And yeah. notice I didn't sit, put that into my intrinsic bias because it already exists in this place in my head of like, this is a damn good supplement. <laughs> yeah. And obviously like do the research on it, but it's a supplement that um, can help with- And it's safe for sport. Safe for sport. There's actually one by Clean Athlete um, that just came out that's like NSF certified that looks amazing, yeah. but it helps stress reduction, can often in that process improve testosterone, improve SHBG levels. Um, so I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of athletes respond well to it. Yeah. But this gets back to an article that was written by Alex, Alex Hutchinson this past week about, you know, he had a thesis that supplement use like this essentially gets people um, away from doing the actual work. Mm -hmm. I disagree for the most part with that point. Like, I don't think athletes should be taking supplements they don't need, but at the same time, like often athletes that are trying to optimize their health are doing it because they care, because they do put in the work. Um, so I, I disagree with that slightly. Um, but also, this gets to anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Like you go to the Olympics and I guarantee you there's very few athletes there that are not taking any supplements. Yeah. It is a complicated thing. I remember every time I've been in the drug testing tent um, for USADA, you know, people have to declare what they take. And every single time that I've been in there, it kind of looks like the people next to me are writing the Dead Sea Scrolls. <laughs> it just comes out and I'm like, wow, what are you putting on there? I mean, careful with that shit. I know you got to declare your 18 tubs of Viactive choose. Oh, I know. I would have declared Viactive though, but I guess that's why it's complicated. People yes, yeah. have to declare stuff like that. So we say be cautious with that stuff. Think more about the earlier recommendations. Um, but ashwagandha is somewhere that's pretty damn researched back at this point. And guess what? What? It's in Athletic Greens. I know. Isn't that magical? It's and good, good stuff. Athletic Greens is safe for sport and something that you know we've seen correlate with really good testosterone levels. So if you want to get in on that, drinkag1.com slash swap, S-W-A-P. And if you go to drinkag1.com slash swap, you also get a year's supply of vitamin D. Uh, I guess a year's supply asterisk. It depends on how much vitamin D you take. Yes. It's only 1,000 IU a day. And as we said, you might need more than that, which makes this dropper that much more valuable. And that's a bonus you get get from the website plus extra travel packs. I know. Sometimes it's fun just to like shake the dropper. I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> that's what I do sometimes. Actually, once I messed up and I didn't realize that it was one drop, I was like, 
about yeah. to put the whole thing in. <laughs> yeah. Your testosterone do would be amazing. Though. Yeah, I would feel like shit though. <laughs> okay, let's do a quick transition here to something that's relevant after our discussion on supplements, which is a new study that just came out called The Prevalence of Drug Use in Endurance Athletes. We're going to brush over this really quickly, uh, but the structure is really interesting. They did 412 urine samples at the start line of ultras. Okay, pause right there. Did you go into the methods and see how they did this? Remember, I wasn't able to access the full study. I was trying to wait on you. Okay, well, I accessed it. Yeah. I forgot to tell you. I'm very sorry. But guess what? they did this is wild they use blind automated urinals at the start of ultra marathon races so athletes didn't know that they were like giving pee samples because as i was reading this i was like well yeah you're gonna have this like huge population bias if you you know you're only gonna recruit athletes if they know that they're like peeing in a cup for drug testing purposes but they use blind urinals how genius is that i feel like our urine should be our own. I know, I know. Actually, it's deceptive. Yeah, yeah. I imagine there. I feel like this IRB would never go through like a. It was. I wasn't overseas. I assume. It was. Yeah. I feel like you can do a lot more overseas. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> actually, we have. We've in our news and fun things. We've had this study that was done in like the 1960s in the military involving naked men, and that would never go yes. through. <laughs> yeah, imagine the military. You can do a lot. That's so interesting. Blind automated urinals. Yeah. Weird. I know. Wouldn't it be fascinating to like be involved in the design of the study? Well, it'd also be cool because, you know, at porta potties, you could get stool samples for like microbiomes. Okay, porta potties would be a lot harder because urinals, you're just having liquid in there. Yeah. Imagine all of the extraneous bodily fluid shit that gets tossed into porta potties and having to deal with that. Yeah, but if it's pre race, most of what's coming out is basically liquid anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> that's gross. Um, but the fascinating thing about the study is if you're based on everything you read, whether it's all of these things that tell you that every supplement you take is going to have performance-enhancing drugs in it or whatever, I would have assumed that they're going to catch a lot of steroids here. Yeah. Like by accident, even, even if it's not intentional. They're going to catch a lot of pork burritos. Yes. In <laughs> fact, they did not find that. Um, they found NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen, in 22%, uh, Tylenol in 15%, opioids in 6.6%. Um, diuretics, 4.9%, which are diuretics are usually illegal. Um, hypnotics in 4.4%. That's like Xanax sedatives. Um, glucocorticoids in 2.7%, which are also illegal in competition. Which is like prednisone. Yeah. Um, beta 2 agonists in 2.2%. Um, I.e. inhalers. And then THC and stimulants in 1% each. Um, and none of the samples include EPO receptor agonists, so no EPO, or suspicious testosterone. And um, so this shows, I think, one, that people don't always know what they're taking because I, uh, when they did the surveys of these athletes, a lot of them didn't know that they were going to be having NSAIDs in their system or whatever. Well, I wonder if they labeled it. I actually need to go and look at the questionnaire because I feel like a lot of times if you ask athletes if they're taking NSAIDs and they're taking Advil, they don't know that the oh, two yeah. are the same. Like, especially if they labeled something as like hypnotics, people are like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know? So I feel like I'd be curious to know how they worded it. Hypnotics. Yeah. I'd be, <laughs> I like it. be like, it was prescribed by my visionary. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of people that probably prescribe hypnotics. Yes. Yeah. Um, but no, what I think is interesting though, is I think you were really excited about the results of the study. And I was kind of mixed because 400 urine samples is not a big sample size if you think about EPO and testosterone use. Maybe it is for testosterone use because I think a lot of like age group athletes or athletes that might not even be aware that that's illegal in competition that are not potentially like gunning for the front of the pack might be on testosterone. Or people that are prescribed TRT and think because they're prescribed it, it makes it legal. Yes, exactly. It doesn't. doesn't. Definitely don't take it. You need a therapeutic use exemption, which is almost never given for testosterone. Yeah, it's almost impossible to get. So I think like to me, 
I think we'd have to measure more in the realm of thousands to be starting to think about like considerable number of positive results. And it makes sense. Like think about like every time that we hear a pro athlete that gets busted for for drug use, it's like it's pretty rare. Like they're yeah. they're probably combing through thousands of samples to get that. The difference though is that pro athletes know they're going to be tested. That's true. Yes. And the yeah. whole theory that people have that are think everybody is doping, which you know honestly those people do good for the sport. If you think everybody's doping, I think it does push everyone not to dope in a good way. Mm-hmm. And I like them when people are vocal like that. Um, but one of their assumptions is essentially, look, if you don't test people, everyone's doping. And I think what this study shows is, hey, that's actually maybe not the case, at least in this co- cohort of athletes. Like, yes, there are things in there that are performance enhancing drugs and illegal, but they're not the things that everyone is being accused of, EPO well, and testosterone. Well, the things that are considered illegal are often masking agents. So diuretics are often considered a masking agent because you take the diuretic and it can mask um, some of the other like drugs within the system or in, in certain sports, perhaps a diuretic is actually beneficial, but it's well, not so in running. It's similar to how Tower Hamilton, when he was going to be tested um, and like it was like a last second thing and he had two hours before his test would drink like 300 ounces of water oh my God. to just flush his system back in the early – this was back when testing systems were much less sophisticated than they are now. Um, so overall, I just think this study, one, it just points out that you know people don't always know what they're putting in their body. It's good to know what you're putting in your body. But two, maybe people aren't cheating as much as some of the skeptics say, um, at least at the age group level. I think that's a good thing. And I also think coaching a lot of pros, like I would – I don't want to say I'd bet my life. I would bet a lot. I would bet my Limp biscuit discography <laughs> yeah. that no one we coach is taking drugs. And if they were, they would be so ashamed of our response. Like that, you know, it's the one place where we just would not, we'd have a zero tolerance policy. Um, and I think, you know, I think that no one's doing it <laughs> at that level. So maybe they are, maybe I'm just being naive. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. But I think the hard part is, is like a lot of doctors and medical professionals are naive yeah. and will just like be like, oh, here, I'm going to prescribe you testosterone replacement therapy or maybe even DHEA, which is like a precursor to testosterone, which yeah. you can get as a supplement, like in the, in the drug source. And so I think be really cautious. Like doctors don't always consider endurance athletes or athletic performance. And so just make sure whatever you're doing, you can Google it and say like, yeah. is this, is this approved? And there's surprising things on there. Like sometimes acne medication. Yeah. are actually considered like a masking agent. So just make sure to Google everything. Yeah. So the websites are globaldro.com and there you can search any medication and they have the full list. It's a, one of the best websites in terms of ease of use. Mm-hmm. I love using it as a coach. And um, then they have certified um, products lists that are really helpful. One other thing on the study that I think is interesting is the people that are skeptical of, let's say, supplements will say, you're going to test positive if you take a vitamin D supplement that's not certified or whatever. And I think when a study like this comes out, the reason it gives me like hope. That would give you anxiety. Because yes, every yeah. time I get tested, I'm like, what is contaminated? Like what piece of meat I had that you know, has <laughs> yeah. something in it or whatever. And I think this study shows that in reality, like those things might be less contaminated than um, some people would like you to believe. So got to be careful with what you take. Don't take anything that's not certified if you can help it. That's why Athletic Greens is so great because you know it is certified. It does have all these things in it that give help you that you can't get certified elsewhere. Um, but study like this, for me, maybe it's just my optimistic self, gives me hope about the entire community and the cleanliness and fairness of sport. I know. I feel like you're reading this as Ted Lasso. Meanwhile, I'm over here as like <laughs> Ted Bundy and I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. I'm still a skeptical bitch. Ted Bundy, the murderer? <laughs> yeah. Not the, I was thinking he did something different. The serial killer? Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure exactly what he did, but I think he killed a lot of women. I think you're right. I take that back. <laughs> I was thinking he was a detective. Oh, a detective, huh? Yeah. Isn't there like a... 
I'm maybe I'm yeah, that's totally wrong. I think someone was named Bundy in the uh, sitcom Married with Children. Maybe yeah, that's what you're maybe thinking. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, I yeah. definitely he was definitely the murderer. I should know this. I, murder podcasts are fascinating. Granted, you get on the start line of an ultra and you turn into a metaphorical Ted Bundy <laughs> yeah. because you're going to kill some bitches. Crush some bitches, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go on to news and fun things. Uh, we don't have too much time here, so we'll, we'll go through just a few things we love. The first thing that I wanted to mention is my obsession with Dan Campbell, the coach of the Detroit Lions. Um, a few years ago, the Detroit Lions were on the HBO show Hard Knocks, which follows NFL teams in their training camps. Um, it's actually really interesting. NFL teams do not want to be on the show because having cameras in your face all the time can be pretty bad for team building. It's a huge distraction too. Like I imagine players are thinking about this more than like the drill they're involved in. And actually, I feel like that's an interesting parallel to what we think about like as we're documenting stuff too in our life. I've thought about that a lot with Leo. It's like, you know, sometimes I like taking pictures of him, but I'm like, that's probably going to stop as he gets older. You know, I don't want to always be shoving a camera on his face. Wait. How do you expect to get likes then? <laughs> yeah. Man, that's how I get my likes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've, I've decided to do something different with my Instagram is I'm going back to the original roots, which is my Instagram was Addie Does Stuff. And where it was so weird and delightful and fun. And dumb as shit. Yeah. Also, it's a treasure trove of memories. I yeah. scroll through that sometimes at night when I can't sleep and I'm like, here's Addie as a puppy and like yeah. a hilarious Addie Does Stuff uh, like comment with it. And I've changed it to Mountain Roach and it got a little bit more serious. And then at one point last year, I noticed that like, of my last five posts, like four of them were funny, but also melodramatic (laughs) about like life and death and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? This needs to be dumb as shit again. (laughs) Leo is helping me in that process. Um, But when it comes to the show Hard Knocks, the only reason the Lions were on it is because they sucked. There's this rule in the NFL where essentially any team that made the playoffs isn't going to be on it. And um, the teams that are in the middle of the pack can have veto power. So you're only getting bad teams usually. And the Lions in particular were coming off a terrible record. And th- that year uh, that of hard knocks, they started 0-10. They didn't win their first 10 games. Actually, and- they've never been to a Super Bowl. They have yeah. a long-standing history of being terrible. Not only are they terrible, they've had... Barry Sanders, one of the best running backs of all time, and Calvin Johnson, one of the best wide receivers of all time, both of them retired at 30 years old. (laughs) They wanted to quit rather than play for the Lions. (laughs) Um, But in that show, he was talking about, look, I love you guys. And he's a totally different person than we are. He's this big Texan who has chew in his lip all the time. Um, He has a thousand milligrams of caffeine every morning when he wakes up. I know. I was fascinated about that. Apparently he has like two large cups of coffee with multiple espresso shots in there. And yeah. I was like, holy shit. I think it's a quadruple shot. Yeah. Can you imagine? I would go to the moon. Yeah. And yeah. But during that show, what really stuck out is that it was so clear how much he loved his players. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, believe in me, guys. We're not there yet, but we will be. And it will happen. And um, it just points out, I think, the authenticity element of coaching and leadership and just friendship is so essential because even if someone comes from a totally different background than Dan Campbell, they see just right away that he is who he is and he means what he says. And this year, the Lions are going to the NFC Championship game and I am officially on the Lions bandwagon. Are you going to root for them for the Super Bowl? I've been rooting for them so hard (laughs) the entire time. Um, So I just want to say like the lesson from Dan Campbell is that you can be whoever you are and just be, but be that thing fully. Yeah, like, but be that thing with love. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, actually, sometimes I mean, I feel like love has different like embodiments and different forms and different ways of displaying. But I feel like even the hard ass coaches truly care about like the long term nature and where their players are going. And yeah. I mean, it's like love is a part of that, even if it's expressed differently. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, yeah, and I think just his authenticity to me is so inspiring. So if you're out there and you don't know who Dan Campbell is and you don't care about the NFL, Google him and say Dan Campbell quotes. And I think you're going to get some of the best 
times of your life. He's essentially <laughs> what would happen if Ted Lasso grew up in Texas, played football in the NFL, and was also just like a gruff, hard man. And had like maybe 1% of Ted Bundy in him. He's yeah. like, I'm going to go tackle those players exactly. and see what happens. Then maybe pick them up on the side of a highway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can we go to um, gambling? Gambling? Yeah, I actually think there's, I think there's a segue here. So Okay, go for it. Megan. Yeah, so Jack Scott just won the spine race going on in the UK, which is a bonkers race. It is so long. He ran it in 72 hours, which is uh, a record and a record by far. Yeah. It was kind of wild to see his performance. It was really fun to just like follow his tracker. Damien Hall in second. It was a it was a really great race. Wasn't that fun for me? I know, because you coach Damien Hall and you just yeah. feel like, motherfucker. And Damien sets the record, but is it beaten because Jack Scott ran the like bonkers race. And I got to be honest, as much as I root for everybody and it's all driven by love for me, <laughs> yeah. I was watching Jack Scott's dot and I was kind of like, you know, Jack, you ran a great race. You could just kind of like stop at the next time. <laughs> yeah. Take no. a really, really long nap out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's actually the hard part with tracking some of these like long multi-day ultras is sometimes they'll go and take like a four hour sleep or yeah. three hour sleep and you're just sitting there like, what are they going to wake up? It's actually something I have to fight against though is oh, it's important. Up, yes. rooting against people yeah. like because that's not healthy for anybody. I want everyone to succeed. And sometimes like when I am coaching an athlete, you can find your brain being like, well, that person can fall into a bog and you know pass out or something. I'm really glad you say that because you're like Ted Lasso yeah. and I'm a little bit less like Ted Lasso. And I do that all the time. I mean, it's for love. It's love of my athletes, yeah. but I've had to actively work and push back against, against it. How do you do that? I think the big point is it just gets back to what we talk about with all competition. You are rooting for everybody. Yeah. You want everyone to have their good day and hopefully your good day is better than theirs. But that um, liberates you to feel so many more feelings as a community mm -hmm. rather than putting a ton of pressure on yourself. So I just keep reminding myself, it's like, what would I tell Damien? I would tell Damien that he wants Jack to set the record mm -hmm. um, because that's what the the competitive mindset that actually leads to bring out your best and bring you closer to the community. And I feel like for me, there's a difference between like watching a live tracker and seeing these performances play out in person. Because yeah. like as I'm seeing them play out in person, like you see Jack run by and you're like, oh, that guy is sending it. He's a delightful guy. Like, you see him run by and you stick out your foot and you trip him. <laughs> yeah. So he falls into a ball and dies. <laughs> and takes a nap for four hours. Uh, <laughs> Not dies. <laughs> that was a bad one. But I feel like for me, like almost like seeing it happen in person makes it more tangible and yeah. makes the excellence of the other competitors that my athletes are racing against rise to the surface. Where sometimes on the live tracker, it feels much more distant and remote. Yeah. And I imagine that's the same parallel for like what athletes feel on like social media or Strava is it's almost True, like yeah. you're seeing it, but you're almost so disconnected from it that it's, it can put your place in more of like a spot of like judgment or like wishing uh -huh. ill against someone. That's such a good summary of why Instagram is bad for athletes sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, I imagine it's different. Like you're running with an athlete, like so many, sometimes athletes run together for like 20 yeah. plus miles of a race. And I feel like in that case, it's almost like the flip switches in terms of how you root for that athlete. Maybe. Yeah. Yes. Like Katie Asmuth and Esther Silag at yes. um, Western States. That's where, actually exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah. You know, Kate, they ran together for a while. Esther ended up beating Katie. But Katie it, was so happy about fourth, it. Yeah. Katie was so happy for her. Um, granted, I think Katie would be happy for anybody. Katie's the most delightful person. She might be the best person on earth. Yeah. She's it's her, her number one, cl closely followed by Ted Bundy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> According to your calculus, at least. Okay. So his um, story of gambling addiction is not one we were aware of. Um, but just a few years ago, he was in the depths of just gambling on everything. He was making enough money that he was able to get by, but it was just like, make his money, spend it on gambling. Um, and... That role of addiction is so hard. I mean, 
whether it's gambling or alcohol or opioids or anything else, it's so difficult. Yeah. And I think the hard part too is that running often becomes another addiction. It's a healthier addiction than gambling or drugs or other things, but I think athletes still have to think about it. And I imagine that's something that he'll be grappling with ahead. But what I liked about this is it actually brings me back to another Lauren Fleshman quote, and I couldn't find it. Oh, she's good. Good, good thing to talk about in the podcast. I know a great thing. So I'm going to summarize it. So somewhere in her book, which I listened to an audiobook, and so I, I don't have it like earmarked. Otherwise, I would have been like highlighting and circling and starring. <laughs> uh, but she said something about like she loves she loves coaching all the broken athletes wow. because there's like so much potential and future ahead. And as I was reading about his gambling addiction, I was like, you know, we're all broken in yeah. some way. Yeah, we're all broken. Yeah, yeah, but I get a lot of joy. I mean, I I work with athletes that like might call themselves more broken than others. And yeah. it's just like being part of their journey and seeing how they like evolve that process makes me really happy. Yeah. And I think his story shows that by acknowledging it and by gaining power over it, um, by acknowledging it, he gained power over it. So here's a quote um, that he wrote for an article in oh, the Innovate website. I used to dream of taking part in huge races like UTMB and think if I can make it there and do that, then gambling go- will go away and I'll be free from it. I used to think a gambler couldn't run that far or complete a challenge like that. I was fighting who I was and I was in denial. Only when I accepted that I'd gotten myself in this situation, took responsibility for my actions, and believed I could change, did things really start to move in the right direction. The head was cut off the snake when I registered for this program that helps gamblers, which is kind of like um, Alcohol Anonymous, I guess, uh, which prevents you from using gambling websites and apps run by, run by companies licensed in Great Britain. Jess and I, his partner, have been together for 10 years, and she's stuck by me through all the dark times. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And it gets back to the love element that you mentioned with um, Dan Campbell. is like, yeah. love can guide you through this. You're not just loved by your partner. You're loved by so many people out there. And grab onto the love. Don't grab onto the judgment or, or even self-judgment. It's like the love is there, and you can find it if you just open up. That's the story from you know Jack. It's the story from Allie. It's the um, story from every human, yeah. honestly. Like, I mean, I feel like there's always some element. Sometimes it's bigger for other people. Sometimes it's smaller, but I feel like there's almost always some element that needs some love. Yeah. And I feel like now when I follow live trackers and it's like, I kind of want to stick my foot out and trip yeah. the, the person that my athlete's chasing. It's like, I, I feel like it's much easier to extend love. And I, maybe a final way to tie it all up is I was talking to Allie and one of the things that she said is she was so excited to share this with everyone that stuck behind her, you know, because Mm -hmm. she shares her YouTube story almost every day. And it's so personal and so funny. And it really is her. Also, it's a lot of work. It's so much work. I'm like, how does she, how is she like a pro athlete and making all these edits? It's impressive. She does it herself. Yeah. It just really connects you with the person. And so everyone out there who's been following her journey knows the real her. And so when they see her have this triumph after the years of difficulty or whatever, it is the ultimate celebration where she's like, they are happier than I am. Um, and she's like thrilled. And it just points out why you open up at all because the love is out there, but sometimes you have to get a little vulnerable to find it. Yeah, I love that. Okay. You know what else we have to do though? What? Coin flips. Oh my God. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah just really quickly. Okay, really quick. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I can't say it for us. I totally forgot about yeah, it. You got to talk about coin flips. Yeah. Uh, so this is a preprint study and it had 47 participants flipping coins for a few weeks to get 350,000 results. Um, and this was all because of a theory by a Stanford physicist in a 20, 2007 study that basically indicated that based on essentially, I don't know what, even what um, physics principle it is, essentially involves the wobble. I was going to say it's the wobble. It's the very, yeah. very uh, technical physics term. As the coin is in the air, there's a certain wobble that makes it predisposed to land on the side it starts on. And 50.8%, in fact. 50.8%. So a so, coin flip is not 50-50. 
it's 50.849.2 or somewhere thereabouts. Yeah, based off of where you start. Yeah. I know. I'm surprised. I mean, I guess it makes sense that no one, it's such 50.8. It's such a small impersonal. It's not though. I mean, it's not. It's, yeah, I Think know. Think about NFL coin flips. Like, yes, yeah. If you're in the overtime at the NFL, they basically they decide the game on a coin flip because whoever gets the ball first has a much better chance of winning because if you score a touchdown, you win. And over time though, it's just so clear what you pick. Always pick head up. Whatever head is facing, pick it. And eventually it's going to save you and you might win an NFL championship. Do you know what it saves me? It's indecision. Yeah. Have you been the captain on teams before? And you're like, for, for me, actually, this is one point where like that event would manifest the rest of the game. And I would sit there and I'd be like, heads or tails. Heads. I never had, I kind of had to like wait for it in the moment. I never had like a predestined thing I chose. Yeah, no, same. I think we're similar with that, that we sometimes overthink the little things we can control. <laughs> the, the little coin flips. <laughs> yeah. Um, so love that study. Just a good reminder that science works in mysterious ways sometimes. And just because I don't understand the physics principles, I think understanding that there are these mysterious things that um, work in these ways can be really cool because physiology kind of has similar moments where it seems like there shouldn't be some weight in one direction, but there is. And so pay attention to those because they're little opportunities. Okay. I'm going to say my catchphrase. It's kind of a piece of shit moment. Okay. I also want the study to be replicated. Okay. Yeah. I, wanna... I also want to kill seven co-eds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ted Bundy slash Megan Roach. <laughs> yeah. Representative. Okay. Uh, quickly, let's, let's finish this one up with some hot takes and stories. We're just going to do one hot take today and then get the listener corner. Here's the hot take from a listener. Aid stations should start offering hot dog water like what they cook them in on hot dog carts in at Costco. It should have plenty of salt and other, quote, nutrition. I love this one. <laughs> also because our baby Leo is kind of onto this because he always takes his, like, whatever is left over of his food at the end of dinner and sticks it in his water. And we call it his science experiment. Yeah. And it's so often it's like turkey or ham or like pasta or whatever. And then he drinks the water. Yeah. He's onto this. He's a freak. Yeah. He's, he's a freak. He's a freak on a leash. He's a freak on a leash. Uh, speaking of which, do you know what I saw him do last night? What? He took, he has this little, little like teacup thing. Yeah. He put it in Natty Dog's water bowl and drank it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel What's like- What's your preference? Like hot dog water versus dog bowl water? Dog bowl water for sure, because Addy has so many more things that are going to help his microbiome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hot dog water's cool. I actually like that idea. They always give you chicken broth. Why don't they give you hot dog broth? I know. It sounds, it sounds cooler. It sounds cooler. Tastes great. As I've said before, I think hot dogs should replace a lot of different American traditions. It's like, why do we have turkey at Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. when we can just have a plate- Stacked high of hot dogs. Could you imagine if you went over to your aunt's house and instead of a big turkey that no one really enjoys that much, they just had a fuck ton of hot dogs? And all the ingredients. I feel like hot dogs, hot dogs themselves are delicious, but they're also just a conduit for like relish and mustard. We haven't done a hot dog night in far too long. Wait, you're saying hot dogs are just a conduit? No, 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 no. There's so much more. They're delicious that. by itself, but then the conduits just like add on to uh, Condiments <laughs> add on to it. Okay. I'll agree with that. I just essentially think- <laughs> Hot dogs need to become a bigger part of all of our lives. And that should be our 2024 resolution. We should track it with testosterone. Yes. Okay, on the listener corner. Before we do that, um, we talked a lot about fueling on this episode. And what we are obsessed with is precision nutrition and hydration. Um, they make great stuff. And the thing we want to point out today is called Flow. Um, it comes in this 300 gram of carb packet. So in other words, 1200 calories (laughs) in one packet and it flows like any liquid, like water or something like that. Um, so you can essentially divvy out your fueling so easily at aid stations and get a lot at once. And it comes with containers, receptacles that you can divide that up into where it's easier to take. Because if you're like me, I love precision and I love slurping so much that my gut instinct is just to take all 1200 of those calories (laughs) at once. I'd be like, it's coming in my GI system. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So pf and h.com, pf 
A-N-D-H.com. There, use code SWAP for 15% off. And if you join our Patreon, uh, you'll get a 15% off for life because that's just a one-time code. And then with that, Patreon, tons of questions, bonus podcasts every week. We're up to 86 bonus podcasts. So if you're not joined now, you have days and days of listening that you can do where we get down and dirty with questions. So patreon.com slash swap. High five. I didn't realize we're on 86. That's a lot of Fridays. Yeah. It's been so fun. Yeah, We do it every Friday, even like holiday weeks, even when like weird stuff is going on in our life. It's kind of this like journal entry of our lives. It's so so joyous. Actually, it's less of a journal entry than these episodes, and it's much more of like, let's get to the questions. <laughs> let's get down to business. People sometimes like it more. It's way hotter takes, which is tough to in, um, imagine when you just listen to the podcast. <laughs> okay, on to Listener Corner. Um, I'm enjoying going through your backlog on my runs. I'm 42, and I haven't ran consistently in 20 years. I had bad blood tests last summer. Between those and David Goggin's audiobook, I started Couch to a Marathon Mission in September, because why not? I'm officially in week three of a training block for a May marathon, and I will drop to the half marathon if needed. So far, so good. I cut my cholesterol in half in four months. I'm doing this for my one and three-year-old daughters. That's beautiful. I love, I mean, I feel like there's something like magical about starting and like thinking about having an inspiration out there. Also, I love because you added pronouns to this. Yeah. It was it was written and typed out without pronouns. It was just like very direct, and I appreciated this, the format. And I also love that you had a pronouns. Yeah, got to. And I also like that they combined swap with David Goggins. I know who does that. It's I know. good. I think it's it like actually combining makes sense. hot dog water with dog bowl water. <laughs> Goggins is probably hot dogs are probably the dog bowl. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I I've really come around to loving David Goggins's message a ton. I think if there's love in there. Yeah, I think there's a lot of love. I think it's a different approach than we take, but I think as this listener indicates it's incredibly motivating for some people to get started or to continue when they don't feel like they can. I admire that ability so much. So (laughs) David Goggins, we love you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. You are authentic as hell. You are the Dan Campbell of running. Well, do you know what probably really increases testosterone levels? What? Staying hard. Staying hard. (laughs) That's a really good point. Yeah, well, it's like the staying hard cyclical nature. It's like stay hard, increase testosterone levels, get harder. (laughs) If my sex hormone binding globulin goes up anymore, I'm going to like need to have that tattooed on my forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe employing David Goggins training. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what I needed this whole time is some Limp Biscuit and some David Goggins. Okay, so I think the final little thing from this listener is they 42 and haven't ran consistently in 20 years. Like, Wherever you are at, if you're in a period of inconsistency or whatever, all you have to do is get started. And that can be five minutes. Like It doesn't have to be a marathon. It doesn't have to be any of these things. Give yourself five minutes. Believe in yourself. Because the cool thing about running is what we talked about last week with epigenetic switches and all that. A little bit can make a fundamental difference, whether it's in your blood work or in your fitness or in just your confidence. And so- we love you all. You've fucking got this and you're going to stay hard as hell. Yeah. Unless you're a competitor to one of our athletes and yes. we still love you all. It's just mixed feelings that we're working through. You're going to stay hard when you fall into a bog <laughs> and then undergo rigor mortis. <laughs> Woohoo! We love you all. Huzzah!